Are you struggling with fear, depression, or anxiety? Are you in search of meaning and purpose? Would you like help navigating your current life circumstances? Tarot can help. Tarot is a powerful tool for healing, introspection, and spiritual awakening. The Esoteric Toolkit is a synthesis of ancient wisdom and modern science. It consists of tarot, numerology, astrology, and the hermetic principles in conjunction with the modern science of consciousness. The revelation and application of this knowledge gives you the tools you need to help master your life, organize your mind, and overcome depression, fear, and anxiety. Learn to manifest your dreams and come into alignment with your highest self and the universe. Book your private one-on-one -on -one tarot reading today. Click the link in the description or go to www.theorderofchaosmagic.com. You can also find monthly tarot packages, a private Discord community featuring shadow work, and Mercury Retrograde support groups, and much more by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash theorderofchaos. Welcome back to the Order of Chaos podcast, and welcome to Wiser Books Month. Today, my guest is Jason Miller, and we'll be talking about his new book, Consorting with Spirits. Jason, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, um, I I can't. I, I've said this in the in the the little um, preview I recorded, but I'm, I'm so grateful to Wiser Books for setting this all up because I get to speak with so many people who I'm just like. I, I, I'll try like I did with Matt Oren to not like fanboy a bunch here, <laughs> but your book is incredible. Now this is actually the first book of yours that I've read, but it's just another one of those books where from, from the first chapter, I'm like, Oh yeah, this is it. This is the book. This is the book on this topic because there are so many books within occultism that claim to be about a topic and then barely touch on it or don't understand the topic that they're, they're really trying to talk about. It's, you know, we, we go through a lot of that, but your book, your book is clear. It's concise. It covers everything you want it to cover. It's fantastic. Well, thank you. That, that's high praise. So thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you for writing it because I think it's, now this is a topic I will tell you, this is why it's so interesting to me. I've gone through existential crisis for like a year or two at a time with the question, what are spirits? You know, like with, without Come, being able to come to an answer and it drives me crazy you know and eventually i did come to a rather complicated answer for myself but you know now that your book is out there people don't have to go through that um, <laughs> you know if they're if they're smart enough to pick it up and hopefully this podcast will um uh, incline some people to do so because i i can't tell you how much i recommend it just talking about the mind model and the mega model and what i really liked at the end of the first section of the book was when you said if you don't understand don't worry that's normal you're not supposed to you're not supposed to entirely understand this and i, I right. think that that's really important an important concept for people to be able to latch on to because it, it's it's difficult to understand 
It is. And, you know, the rush to nail everything down is, is a big mistake in general. And, you know, I think people who maybe they, like don't really understand science, they kind of feel like it's scientific to slap a label and know what something is for sure. But it's not. It's actually the opposite. Of, of good science, where science is always questioning its assumptions, performing experiments. And, you know, if the evidence shows like, well, no, that hypothesis was wrong, then back to the drawing board. So in something like magic, um, there's so many questions that I've actually just stopped asking or, or, or even answering. So I always tell my students that we have this uh, idea of the head, heart, and hand, right? The hand wants to know what's useful. And the heart wants to know what something means or how it feels. And I think magic and, and religion and spirituality and philosophy is great at that. The head wants to know what is. What is the temperature of the sun? How long does, you know, what is the freeze, you know, what temperature does water freeze at? Um, what's the distance between here and there? And I just find magic and, and religion and spirituality to be spectacularly bad <laughs> at those, <laughs> at those like fact-based, this is it, boom. Um, so I've just kind of been like, don't like just assume that you're not going to know for sure the, the truth about this. And sure, you might get a good idea. You might get an operating model. But even then, it's that idea that all models are false, but some of them are useful, right? So it always comes back to that usefulness. Yes. So I just simply define spirits as organized consciousness, which I loved, which is yeah. great because now previous to hearing that term or reading that term, organized consciousness, I would, and this is where I would trip myself up because I would think of spirits as archetypes of consciousness. But then I'm like, well, okay, that applies to maybe the gods, but does it apply to lesser spirits? Not so much. These aren't archetypes, right? Or what about servitors, aggregors, you know, uh, uh, or trickster spirits? These, these tricksters, maybe, but you get where I'm going. They don't fit that one specific label. So when you said organized consciousness, I'm like, that's it. That's the that's, right way to say it. And and then, you know, more than that, it opens up the right questions. It opens up more questions. Organized around what, right? So now we have people are spirits. We're organized around a body, right? So you have now the place of people in the spirit hierarchy, which then settles this spirit magic versus energy versus mind nonsense and puts it to bed because it's all part of it, right? Um, it's how, like, energy and mind are how spirits do magic, and we are spirits as well. Now, then there are other spirits that are organized differently, and that makes us useful to them and them useful to us because we're organized differently. It's almost like arbitrage, right? Like uh, somebody lives in an area where there's, uh, I don't know, like an, an overabundance of water and somebody else lives in an area where there's an overabundance of iron, right? So the people in the iron rich, they're just like iron. It's freaking everywhere. It means nothing to us here. 
you know, have some, we need some water. And the water people are like, we're drowning in water, take some. And each is precious to the other. So this is the great thing about working with spirits. We, uh, I'll have students, they'll say, well, why would a spirit be willing to do something like help me out of a jam in exchange for incense or, or, you know, some eggs left out in its name. And it's like, it's very simple because the spirit that's organized in a way that it can influence probability and minds directly can't lift up a glass of water or a bottle in this case. So it's, uh, it, it's, it's all about that. Yeah. Okay. So that leads me to my first big question. So I will say that prior to, I guess it's been about four years now. Um, so prior to four years ago, I had been practicing um, pretty strictly atheistic uh, Satan, like magic straight out of the satanic Bible, right? Mm-hmm. Which, um, you know, a book I kind of, I, I still love and and uh, have a lot of, of respect for Anton LaVey. Um, and it's still an important part of my practice because it helped me through some hard times, as I've mentioned on the show before. Um, but I, it was, it didn't really click with me because it's like um, magic, 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 but atheism, <laughs> you know, um, but anyway, so about four years ago, I had a, a really powerful experience where I experienced interaction with my own spirit guides, and uh, and it was shocking and, um, you know, unnerving, and um, caused a lot of a, a lot of weirdness in my life for a while. And, and eventually, I settled into a much more spiritual view of magic, which really blew my mind wide open. So, I guess my question for you, I have two part questions. Number one, did you go through anything like this? Was there a point in your practice where you? were not working with spirit and then you were or the other way around. And also to your point, what is it that we can do for the spirits? You know, everyone knows about sacrifices on your altar, incense, this, that, the other thing, but you were describing it as they can't lift a bottle of water. Well, what, what is it they want us to do for them? So it, you know, so the going back to the atheist thing. So you know, if you talk to some of the people that were around Anton LaVey's circle, some, I mean, I guess most famously Michael Aquino would say, you know, it wasn't quite as atheistic for a lot of us that were there in these rituals. Um, and that, you know, and, and I've talked to other people not connected with, with Temple of Set, but still were around at that time and were like, yeah. It was atheistic in that they didn't necessarily believe in like God and the devil in a Catholic sort of way, but there was definitely more going on. So, it, you know, the athe- my friend uh, Chaoyan is an atheist and, and writes on magic. So, but it comes down to what do you mean by atheist? Do you mean that there's no creator God in charge of everything? Then yeah, I think it's perfectly reasonable to accept that there are spirits just as you accept that there are other people, right? Um, or you just like hard and fast, everything is scientific materialism, kind of a Richard Dawkins kind of atheist, in which case then really magic has no place at all. And then there's, you know, a huge spectrum in between. So there's there's plenty of room for atheists and plenty of room for, um, you know, for people who practice along the lines of the Satanic Bible 
and every other uh, shade in between to to practice magic. So that's, you know, that's great. But, you know, have I gone through something like that where my assumptions about magic kind of got undercut? Yeah, a bunch of times, many, many times. So in the book, I write about um, how in the 90s, I was sort of, you know, in a philemic headspace, right? Like working mostly with people around the OTO, but I still had uh, connections in root work communities and, and, and things like that. And so, but I'm settling down to find my holy guardian angel, right? And the holy guardian angel finally appears after nine months and is like, okay, well, tomorrow, we got to bind those demons. And yeah, I'm like, that... yeah. You no, know, this I read is all that. part of my head, right? Like, I don't believe in binding demons. And, and, and you know, the angel is like, well, I don't really give a shit what you believe. Um, if we don't get this done, having my input here is going to cause these powers around you to kind of become out of balance. So you have to summon these phonic powers and and kind of re-stamp everything. It's almost like a, like a corporate shakeup, right? Like if, if you're working at a company and all of a sudden new owners come in and upper management is like different, at, but nobody talks to anyone on like <laughs> in the company. It's going to be chaos. So um, here it is. I'm... I'm full of you know it's it's psychological there's something spiritual obviously to it but still caught in this kind of 90s chaos magic philemic headspace and uh angel's like well no problem uh you don't have anything prepared i'm gonna go get you something to summon the demons with and we're gonna start tomorrow and i'm like you're gonna get me something to by tomorrow night, right? The wand. Yes, I actually, <laughs> even, I'm, if anyone can see, there's sheetrock behind me. Everything is in boxes, but this is big, so it's not in a box. Oh. Oh. So, yeah, so this, uh, now- Oh, that's uh, not quite, I was picturing a wand. That is a staff. <laughs> yeah, no, so it's a it's a wasp. It would be a like it's a staff, but I can't like slam it on the ground because it's got that bident bottom that the yeah. the wasp has. So um yeah, you know, so my friend who put so much time and effort into building this for, for a ceremony um previously just shows up and he's like, I think you're supposed to have this. And I'm like, fuck yeah. Um, awesome, you know, so, uh, boom, all of a sudden, this is like way more real than I gave it credit for way more tangible. And, uh, you know, these, these are beings who can say no and tell you, no, you're wrong, right? Like you're, you're not understanding this. So here, um, so yeah, so that was a huge shift. And there have been other shifts since then, you know? Um, and I think it's only natural in a, in a messy world 
And we in particular are in a, a ridiculously accelerated culture, right? A, a, a time when things are changing faster than ever before in human history. So if you look at things like the PGM and, and, and you know, the, the Chaldean oracles and all this stuff that came out of the Mediterranean in the second century, right? Where there was just, you know, a big shakeup and things were accelerated. It's like this big glorious mess of stuff um, that, so how much more like crazy would it look if they had the internet? <laughs> like how, how much crazier would it look if, you know, they could get in touch with people anywhere in the globe? Um, and that's where we are now. So I think anyone not experiencing a bit of a shakeup uh, at least a few times in their life isn't doing themselves a service. Uh, you're, you know, maybe, maybe it's kind of just closed off. They're kind of backsliding into uh, needing that firmness, right? And I'm not a big believer. I think a lot of terrible things come from people needing to nail everything down. So yeah, I agree. I, I think that you, uh, I think that you having that shakeup is, is wonderful. Now, what do the spirits need? Depends on the spirit. And that's really the message. Um, it's, if, if we think about people, right? Just, just look at around, look around at people and the immense diversity amongst us all. Even as we're hyper-connected, there, there's massive differences in, in likes, dislikes, culture, and, and you know, what we do, what we consume, what we don't consume, everything else. And that's just people. So now when we're talking about a universe where we've got other kinds of consciousness organized completely differently. Why do people think it's less diverse, right? Like why do people think that this is somehow something they can more easily nail down or that the spirits would be less individual than people? It's just, it's not the case. So what are the spirits like? depends on the spirit. Some spirits um, really do crave physicality and that's what they get out of the offerings that are uh, physical of leaving something on your altar for the spirits for a while, leaving something that is consumable for the spirits for a while, um, taking something out and burying it in a sacred space or creating something that's a vessel for them. There's a touch of the physical to it. Almost, you know, I, I would imagine it might be a lot like being touched by the spirit. People, mystics and whatnot, that are that are touched by mystical experience and it forever, you know, it affects them. It, it, it empowers them. It adds a different dimension to their life. So too does physical offerings for spirits. So there are other spirits who prefer deeds, who prefer other kinds of things. And then there are other spirits who really just don't give a crap about humans one way or the other. <laughs>
yeah. Yeah. That's see, that's very interesting to me. And I, I'm of course I, I agree. And, um, the reason I ask is that the spirits who I've had interactions with over these past four years have had a, a, such a wide, they're so different from each other. I believe in the existence of essentially all of the gods, of all of the pantheons, um, at least in the possibility of their existence. And I would treat them with the respect of, of acknowledging that existence. Um, and some people like to think of, well, no, this god and this god and this god are all the same god. They just go by different names. What's your take on that? So, again, it's it becomes um, how are these spirits organized, right? Right. So if they're not organized around a body, and then we have to entertain a more subtle organization. So, first of all, what is the spirit if you take humanity out of the equation entirely, right? Like Michael is not going to be called Michael. Any, any, or Hecate is not going to be called Hecate because we kind of know what that means in Greece, right? right? In Greek. And if there were no people, there would be no Greece and there would be no Greek language. So it's kind of silly to think like she's just out there and that's her name and, and period. So there's always aspects of how we know them right and but again not fundamentally different than people what you know of me and what everybody watching this podcast knows of me is going to be very different than what my wife or kids know of me what other people know of me and of course when we're talking about spirits we're talking about things that are more subtle not less so Mm -hmm. yeah um you've got then you've got characteristics that are similar. So you can take, um, say, Kurukula, red, sexy goddess of enchantment from both Buddhism and Hinduism. And you can say, well, you know, that's a red goddess associated with, with love and enchantment and mysticism. And, oh, look, Babylon is a red goddess of enchantment and and mysticism and, and, uh, you know, and sexuality. And various bombajiras are red goddesses of enchantment. And and so then there's a mindset that's like, well, therefore they are all the same, right? Mm -hmm. But this is silly, right? Like you've got a beard, I've got a beard, you're a little overweight, I'm a little overweight. Are we the same person? No. You know, <laughs> yeah. would we, you know, like, could we be grouped together? Maybe in some cases and others not. Um, but this is where we kind of have to separate thoughts about civic religion and magic, right? So like civic religion, like you want to have a religion that appeals to a large group of people, make it bland right (laughs) like like make it the unitarians like everything is there everything is kind of one-ish and the same and uh there's no more fighting and we can build some kind of rituals to mark weddings and you know life changes and whatnot but when it comes you know so that's comparative religion oh look at folk look at hermes they have these similar things and then 
you know, so are they the same or are they not the same? Well, that's where experience and vision can come in because for some magicians, they clearly fused at certain points, right? Mm -hmm. Because they are subtle and they can fuse at certain points. If, if there's a, you know, a Bombajira in Brazil can choose to manifest as Curucula, just as some have chosen to manifest as Maria Padilla, who is not indigenous to Brazil, right? So you could have something like that, but it doesn't, even then, it doesn't make them the same. It's complex and it's messy. And that's where the magic is. The magic is in the details. The magic is in the things that don't fit, right? The magic yeah. is in the ways that Hecate is not Kali, or which I don't even see the, the similarity, but a lot of people seem to like, you know, oh, dark goddess, dark goddess, dark goddess. You are all the dark goddess. And, mm -hmm. you know, and it's just sort of like, no, 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 no. I think it's a, a real desire to simplify, yeah. you know, to, to make it to make it understandable, right? But that's that's silly because we're not. And that's where the head question like, let go of the head question. Let yeah. go of the fact. Like yeah. just don't try to nail it down and you don't have to worry about it. Just look at it and be like, yeah, that's not something I can know through the means I have available to know these things. So why is it important to me? Uh, to know this, right? Like to know, because you want to make a theology, but. Right. Well, it comes down to, I think, do you have a desire to be able to, to explain this to other people? Is that where your desire really lies to say, oh, I understand this and I can explain it to you? Or is your desire to experience it for yourself? Because the experience like blows away the idea of understanding, you know, you'll, you'll rack your mind over trying to understand the experience, but you'll, I mean, I've never come to like a rock solid conclusion. I, I come to the, the closest thing I can come to and say, that's good enough. Yeah. I forget who it was now. Um, maybe it was Ken Wilbur, who I'm not a huge fan of, but he, he does have some really good nuggets of wisdom. Uh, he talked about translation versus transcendence. He said the role of religion is is translation like most people what they want out of religion and spirituality is translation where what's going to happen when i die what does it mean to be a good person how do i mark in a sacred way the things that feel like they should be marked in a sacred way translate the world for me and i'll be then i can go around do my job feed you know enjoy my family and, and everything else. Whereas transcendence shakes, it's the opposite. It shakes all that up, right? You're not, a, a mystic is not receiving things that make them more certain about everything. They're receiving things that just shake up everything that they know. Now, very often the people that come after them will try to create a new theology out of that and just say, you know, they'll start retranslating in that light. But, you know, the transcending meaning and pushing the boundaries, I think, is where mystics and magicians need to operate. So, yeah, I agree completely. You have to embrace uh, a sense of, of you have to be comfortable not knowing. Yeah. You gotta be, and you've got to be really comfortable with it because you have to, if you, if you believe, so in a way, 
in, in like a, a very chaos magic kind of way here. Your beliefs limit your possibilities. And that's okay, that's what I believed. <laughs> right. Your beliefs, if you believe that spirits can do this, but they can't do that, well then they can't do that for you because you're not allowing it. It's not within you know, the limits you're setting for this spirit. So it's in your best interest to maybe not set those limits. That's kind of the logical way I get around it in my head. So I would, I, the only change that I would make to that is the spirits aren't limited by you. Like if you think your car can only go 90 miles an hour, but it can actually go 120, your belief about the car might prevent you from ever trying to push it past 90 miles an hour, but it doesn't mean that it can't, right? So if you get in front of, I mean, all the time, spirits have sort of done things that I didn't think could be done. Yeah. Um, and then other times, spirits wind up not being able to do things that to me seem like, you know, well, this should be doable. And it turns out, well, no, there's, it's, it's not doable for, you know, there are factors going on that you're not seeing that make it not doable. So, but none of it really has to do with my beliefs about it one way or the other. I'm, I'm a pretty mechanical person when it comes to uh, magic. I, I, I don't think about belief all that much one way or the other, but you're right in that if you hold these firm beliefs about what something is and what something isn't, it will affect the magic you try to do. I remember uh, a long time ago, I was in a group and we were going to, we were planning an evocation. I don't think we ever got to it, but you know, an evo classical evocation. And somebody in the group had said, well, if we have a magician and we have a seer, who's, you know, Visago, I think it was, whose Visago will appear? And I was like, I don't, what, what do you mean? I'm like, well, Visago is an aspect of the mind. So is it your mind or, or the seer's mind? And I was like, neither. Just, you know, that whole frame of reference is going to muddy what you think you can do. And, and so there you go, you know? Yep. I, I I think you're dead on correct about that. Um, and, and yeah, it's so, yes, you're right. It can do these things, but if you don't believe it can, you might not be um, willing to try. Right? You, you just won't yeah. go there. You won't have that expectation. You won't, you'll, you'll say, I'm not going to do this spell for this thing that I don't think is possible. Right. But isn't that kind of why we do magic in the whole fucking first place is to, <laughs> to, to, to accomplish things that would otherwise not be possible. Right. So, so why limit, anything in that regard um now that's it what you just said is interesting because i think that that's the way that a lot of like internet fights start about these topics is somebody makes an assumption when they say okay whose visago is it going to be well that's assuming that your mind model is the objectively true model right, right? and that's <laughs> come on you know uh, objective i don't even think i don't even know if objective reality is a real thing Honestly, <laughs> you know, quantum physics tells us it's probably not. Um, even just basic neuroscience, right? Like everything that you're experiencing is made up in your mind. Um, but you it's but yeah, it's absolutely. but it's an interpretation of something that's really there. It's not just, anyways. So okay, I have a. I know I'm going kind of fast, but I just it was such a good book, and I have so many questions. So please <laughs> forgive me. I love fast. Around. 
Yeah. Um, so here's my next question for you. Do you feel that there is not to say a hierarchy of spirits, but a level in which they are close to the earth realm? So for example, in my experience, the the spirits of the Goetia are very close and nearby. They're likely to uh, make shit happen in your house, for example, make your lights flicker, your fire alarm go off, this, that, and the other thing. Whereas I choose because I'm a very uh, hyper ADHD person and I have a lot going on in my mind all the time. I choose one of the reasons I think that I, I prefer working with the Norse gods is because they're very quiet. Mm-hmm. They don't, they're not in my space. They're not talking to me all the time. They're not making my bed shake, you know, but they're there when I need them. So I'm just wondering what do you, what do you feel is going on with that? Yeah. So this is where I have this idea of orientation, right? So not only are spirits organized differently, but they're oriented differently. So we're oriented to the physical, right? And then just underneath the physical, we can think of the etheric, Right. This is this is where martial artists and and yogis and acupuncturists operate. The stuff that is so close to the physical that you can't you can't do anything with it without physical input, right? Like needles or breath or muscles or or you know, but it's also not detectable by normal instruments. So it's it's sort of in between the astral. And then underneath that is the astral. Well, now you can separate from the physical. Things are a lot more mutable. Then you've got other layers, one that I call symbol space and another layer that would be mental and other layers that are causal where even subject and object breaks down, right? So different beings can be oriented to these different levels of perception. And a good deal of evocation is just about pulling them into, like from one orientation into another and hopefully you moving your orientation as well. So yeah, there are definitely spirits that are very close to the physical and spirits that you can kind of point to like ghosts, right? You can Mm -hmm. point to the room, like the ghost is over there. Yeah. This, you know, the spirit of the river or the tree or the woods, you can sense them and they move through the woods. Then there are other spirits where a presence is upon you, right? You can mm-hmm. feel the, the, and for me, while the go, this demons and, and spirits listed in the Ars Goetia uh, definitely do, they are accompanied by a lot of very physical spirits and they met, they orient to the physical very easily. They're, they begin with this sense of presence, right? And then we mm-hmm. kind of have to direct them, like where do we want them to appear if we want them to appear closer to the physical? So you've got this idea of orientation. And then, yeah, there are also spirits who are decidedly quiet, decidedly separated. Um, and they are no less potent in fact incredibly wise incredibly vast right um but with with vastness comes lack of specificity right and Mm -hmm. and so if you're like if you need a coffee you don't contact the ceo of starbucks 
or even the regional manager. You go to the local Starbucks and you talk to the barista there and get a coffee. But for certain things, you would need somebody higher up the ladder who manages a wider array, but less involved in the individual affairs. Um, one of the wonderful things about many spirits is that they have retinues, right? So in the Ars Goetia, you have leads X amount of legions of spirits, right? They always give this how many legions. So sometimes what you're getting there uh, in terms of like the paranormal phenomena, the bed shaking and, and, and things like that are actually the legions of the spirit. Hmm. Um, so yeah, that makes so much sense. <laughs> yeah, I had, I had not thought about that. You have the mall Santa phenomenon, right? Yeah, yeah, I know. I love that. I love that description in the book, and I also loved how you described, um, you know, the the process of binding a spirit in the uh, Solomonic way is going to the manager. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting, um, and and totally makes sense. It's uh, okay. So. This is my next, uh, this is, I want your opinion about this. This is a model that though I, I dislike it, I'm interested in it and, and it's somewhat compelling, but it's, it's one of those things where I just feel like it, it can only go so far and then it falls apart. Okay. And that's the, the extremely popular idea that spirits are aliens, aliens are spirits. I, I have. I, I have no experience with it whatsoever, other than to say that, uh, you know, if you accept that, if you accept how large the physical universe is, mm -hmm. right, then it seems reasonable that there's intelligent life out there. And if you accept that there are these different shades of subtlety, right? Where um, you've got this etheric and, and astral and whatnot, if you just keep peeling back these layers and, and getting deeper and more subtle, um, then perhaps some of the alien visitations that people see are actually spirits that come very close to physical reality which maybe explains why they're often seen in rural settings because mm -hmm. it's quieter and, and uh, you know, people are more focused on looking at the sky. I live in Vermont. I look at the sky all the time and, and the quiet cultivates awareness of these subtle areas, but I'm not a UFO researcher and I, you know, I've had experiences that people um uh, from that community would be like oh well that's like alien abduction experience and i'm like well you know i don't view it through that lens at all but but beyond that i you know are there spirits that you know i've connected to through stellar work absolutely um some reach down some far away some so far away they're not particularly interested uh when contact you know is is kind of forced um 
but yeah, I don't have enough to, to, I'm not well enough established in any kind of UFO or alien community to say anything one way or the other. Yeah. Um, I find it, you know, I watched ancient aliens. It was interesting. It was a fun show, but I, the more, the, the more I, I get into my own spiritual practice, the more that view just seems like, no, that's, that's not it. That's not the thing. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe a UFO landed and um, the things that got out when, when trying to communicate with humans and human says, what are you? Are you a God? They're like, yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe that's what's going on. I don't know. It's just, it's just a view that like so many of my friends are so into it and I'm just like, I, I don't know, guys. I don't know. Nah. But anyways, just wanted to know what you thought about that. So jumping back to what we were talking about when it comes to what the spirits want from us, in my experience, and, and I wonder if you've had this experience as well, like when I was working with Thoth, who was the, the first spirit I ever really attempted to work with and who was easy to work with, never wanted anything from me but for me to educate myself. Right. And I assume, okay, now we're talking about the God of wisdom and writing. Well, what does he want you to do? He wants you to read. And that's, you know, so in that way, I always felt that the spirits I was working with, rather than wanting something from me, they wanted me to do something that, you know, encouraged me to better myself. And that gave me this, you know, great sense of like, wow, these guys are really on my team. This is amazing. Like they're actually interested in what's going on in my life and they're trying to help me improve it. Um, so I wonder why. Why is that? Why do they take that interest in our personal lives? Well, I think about people who do the same thing. Um, you know, I, I, I'm always sort of like pushing out there for people to, you know, hey, the world would be a lot better if you all would look just a little deeper or, or fight some of the... Uh, what Moore's law and social media have wrought, like, you know, get out of this. And, and because I care about the world being better for people and, mm -hmm. you know, I, I mean, there are, uh, especially if someone comes and asks, uh, you know, Hey, how can I, do this thing or make life better. I'm all over it if if I can. Um, so it's, I think about the people in my life that, you know, say they knew about money, right? And when I started to become more interested in, in money and how it works and, you know, hey, it turns out this is really important. Um, none of them wanted anything from me but they were so excited to talk with someone about business and about, you know, what they were doing with their money and what other people were doing and how to make it grow and, and how to use it. Why? Because everybody wants the world to be better. Right. And, and you want people to, um, to thrive. Um, you know, I, I talk in the Hecate course, I talk about, you know, people are like, well, what does Hecate want? And I'm like, well, Hecate wants you to be more as she is. Mm -hmm. uh, ever expanding, ever going beyond, ever, you know, you know, unlocking the divine, which 
you know, isn't a static thing, at least as she's communicated to me. So ever pushing beyond the limits and barriers and also exercising more agency in your life. So these are the things that are most important to her. This is what she gets out of creating an arcana and being available to people for magic more than offerings and whatnot. The offerings are good and a lot of spirits around her benefit directly from those offerings. Um, with, with Jupiter, uh, another you know God I work very closely with because of the money issue. Um, it was really like at a certain point, Job is like presents as like a retired God. Like, I'm, look, man, I, I don't need an altar to me. I'm not trying to get more offerings and more worship. That's, it's over. But now like, but I would love for you to learn good governance and i would love for you to learn you know what it what the real meaning of uh of what i'm about is about um and we all want that we all want to be understood and we all want to share um and the gods and spirits are not different in that respect. So when you contact Thoth and he's like, read up, <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. that is the primary thing. That's really interesting. It actually, it makes me think about how I really, really want my six-year-old son to like Star Wars because I like Star Wars and I want to talk about Star Wars with my kid. Yep. He's not, you know. We're getting there. <laughs> we're not there yet, but we're getting there. But I really want that. So, you know, it makes perfect sense. That's fantastic. Um, that Yeah, that's kind of reassuring to me that I, I'm always wondering, like, should I be doing more and offering, you know, and offering to the spirits I work with? But I tend to just listen to them, tell me what they might want. When I do work with the Norse gods, I've been directed to to leave offerings to even do a bit of blood magic, um, you know, and that's that's been insanely effective like ridiculously effective uh, i'm still tripping out about that but yeah it's it i've always wondered what's going on why do they want different things but again it's it's just like they're saying they're just like people and i think that's ultimately the best way to think about it and and when you can get yourself out of the what are they headspace and start thinking who are they right you, you get a Perfect. lot more of that yeah and okay. you know like just like people is a start so it's like they're just like people, but then more subtle, more multidimensional, right? Yeah. Like, so if we can think of people as having multiple futures pretty easily, right? Like, mm -hmm. if I do this, that future. Well, I often think of very vast and ancient beings as having multiple pasts. Mm -hmm. So it becomes this big, twisted tiny, whiny, <laughs> you know, um, thing where we're dealing with, you know, reality collapsed into manifestation, but there's so much probability in both the future and the past. And so we're dealing with beings that travel along those lines as well. Yeah, that's very interesting. My, my first thought was, I wonder if there are convergence of all the possibilities of that particular past in a way, or I mean, I mean that, that could be infinite, but that's very interesting. 
Um, I, I definitely like to think that there are, I, I'm interested in the, the many worlds version interpretation of quantum physics. So there could very well be multiple paths and that they could mm -hmm. be colliding in a way that we don't fully understand. Um, it's definitely a topic I'm very interested in. <clears throat> okay. So when, when you're working, let me see how to phrase this. Um, is your work, personal work, focused more on a specific classification of spirit? You work more with gods, ancestors, lower level spirits. Where where is your focus in your own work? Oh goodness, um, I, I work all along the spectrum. So there are a few deities that I work with, but I'm not big into devotion and worship and that kind of thing. Um, there are a lot of lower level spirits that I work with as well. And, and there are, you know, layers in between guardian spirits, angels, demons. Um, so I work a lot with local spirits. I work a lot with those, um, saints, angels, demons, devils, attendant spirits, nymphs, um, you know, that things like that. Uh, that fall in between the the big deities and the the local uh, you know spirit of your local uh, stream, and you know I think magic and witchcraft kind of uh, for me that's the sweet spot for where they operate, and then of course my own sense of being a spirit and. Yes. Uh, so one of the most major things my focus every day is on contemplative practice, on energetic practice, and, and so on. Do you have any particular spirits that you feel are in a way, like always with you, always around you? Yeah, so there's um, there's a few familiar spirits that I'm you know, connect to us. So you, you've got that holy guardian angel experience, which, you know, it can come to the forefront at times. It can move to the background at times, but is always there. Um, and then there are other spirits that, uh, there are pacts that be, they become familiar spirits. So, uh, they're very personal and, uh, you know, always kind of there. Uh, and then there are spirits that you have ongoing relationships with, big and small, that have become so worked over time that it's easy to start thinking of them as a, they're not a familiar spirit, as in they're yours, right? But they they are you are familiar to them they are familiar to you and so the lines of communication open very quickly um so all of that cool yeah that makes sense um okay here's a question to maybe hopefully aim at the tiktok community <laughs> uh, do you feel personally that um 
a spirit must approach you or you must approach a spirit? Or is there a way that you think is better? Or is it, I, I mean, it's both. I know the answer is that it's both, but there's, there's all this like, oh, well, this spirit chose me and, and you can only work with the spirit if, if they choose you type stuff, which I, I relegate to the same kind of like, oh, you can only use a tarot deck if somebody gifted to you kind of nonsense. But what's your take on that? Yeah, so for the most part, 99.9% of the time, this is people defending their specialness. Yeah. Right? They, 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 they are projecting the idea that they are very special and the people that they're learning from or working with are very special. But, you know, you are probably not very special unless you yeah. come to it through them. Um, and so there's a lot of, of that kind of thing going on. Um, now there are certainly traditions where it's traditional to have, say, you know, uh, um, like if you were interested in Kimbanda, you might go and you have, might get a consulta, um, and they, then that person will tell you which issues in Pombajiras you're bound to, but that's only in, you know, not every type of Kimbanda does this. There are different types of Kimbanda. So even within these traditions, people think that these traditions are homogenous and they act all the same and they don't at all. So... Whereas other Kimbanda teachers I've met have just said, well, you know, who do you feel called to? Who do you make, who makes sense for you to work with? Um, and then it becomes, uh, so it's, it's about what your what kind of authenticity you have and where it's recognized and valid more than anything else, right? So if you are, you know, let's say you, you walk into a, a traditional Santeria community, right? And you just start talking about how you've been working with Yemiya and, and issue, but you've been doing it all from books and offerings and doing your own thing. They're going to look at you askance and say, well, you know, that's, somebody has to do the reading and this has to be done right and according to these things. So, you know, that is traditional authenticity in that context. Um, does it mean that what you've been doing is not functional? Does it mean it's not valid? Not from the position of functional authenticity. In the position of functional authenticity only matters did it work? Was it meaningful, right? Maybe, you know, somebody originally contacted those gods or spirits before the tradition existed. Mm -hmm. So uh, to say they can never be contacted in any way outside of that, I think is hollow. However, that tradition has every right to say, but we don't recognize that, right? Yeah. We don't recognize your 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 stuff there if you decide you're a priest and you walk into a catholic church to give mass they're not going to let you 
because what a priest is to them is, you know, and you'll sit there and yell, but I am a priest. And, you know, but no, you're not, not for them. You can go be a priest like somewhere else. But uh, so who we're talking about and to is important. And in online spaces, and in, you know, when it comes to deities like Hecate, who haven't had uh, living widespread cults in centuries, this is all horseshit. Oh, sorry, I'm not supposed to curse. No, no, it's, it's all it's all bull. Um, it, you know, so to lay that claim. You know, it, it's not uh, it's not valid to say that you can't be in contact with Hecate. Now, if you are saying, "Well, I do the same sorcery of Hecate stuff that Jason does, or that Sarita's group does, or Sydney Brandon's group does," but you're not in those groups, you've never you've never studied with either any of us, then of course not, right? But it doesn't mean that you're not in contact with Hecate. It just means you're not doing the same practices that we are. And so you're not calling on the same phone that they're calling on. They're calling on a Nokia phone and you've got a Motorola. Right. Something to that effect. Now, in your in your personal experience, how often, if all, at all, will a spirit just say no to a person who's attempting to practice or to work with them? Local spirits, it's more likely, right? Like local spirits that are closer to the physical. It's it's much more likely that a spirit will be like, thanks, but no, right? Yeah. Uh, spirits of the dead, things like that. Um, when it comes down to saints, gods, angels, things like that, it's it's there's you there's got to be some reason um and when i dig into why people think that a spirit doesn't like them it's very often spurious reasons or something that was put in their head by somebody that has an agenda so you know uh, there are people who we're kind of, I have to say that overall the community is returning to a kind of unhealthy superstition in so many ways. Yes. That, that witches and magicians are more scared <laughs> of magic than ordinary people and, and like less able to deal with occasional weird things than ordinary people. So like they'll do a spell and then maybe the wax melts weird and they're, or, or they see something in the wax and their, you know, their anxiety like makes it into something with horns and they're like, Oh my God, it's the devil. Why, you know, why does St. Homo bonus hate me? It doesn't, you know, I uh, went to Hecate. I asked her to bless, you know, a candle for for me to, you know, find a house. And then the next day, I felt cold. Why does she hate me? And I'm out. You know, I need protection. And 
she must not like me. And then they'll go and get a reading and that person will be like, oh yeah, she hates you. And, and because that's much more interesting to tell someone than, you know, no, just, you know. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's one of those things where I see more and more and more of it going on and I wish it wasn't. So, uh, whereas 20 years ago, I think maybe people weren't taking spirit seriously enough and people weren't taking magical attacks seriously enough and people weren't taking the possibility of, you know, something not going right with magic seriously enough. I think now it's almost the opposite. Like um, so many people have their, they've got horror movie mentality. Like the magic will get me into trouble, but not out. The spirits will, I will contact them and they will hate me. And now my life will be ruined or, you know, or maybe they're just, you know, they pray and they sit and, and nothing happens. And they're like, oh, she doesn't like me. Or, oh, he doesn't like me. Not necessarily. It takes effort takes quietude you know so yeah and it took you you're saying nine months to perform the uh the abramelin ritual and make contact with the holy guardian angel that's a, it's a huge commitment yeah. now so i have a question about that and this is this is another online debate that i've i've noticed and i, I try not to participate sometimes i i like comment i'm like what am i doing don't say anything <laughs> You know, but um, so what I'm curious about is your opinion on the Holy Guardian Angel. Is that to you individual to each person? Or um, in a lecture I was listening to given by Damien Eccles, he said that the Holy Guardian Angel is the demiurge uh, from, I guess, that Gnostic perspective, that they're the same thing, right? And so that's one entity that's the Holy Guardian Angel, the HGA for everyone. And then in the more New Age uh, arena, there's the concept of the higher self and the HGA being the same thing. You know, I don't even know if they're really aware of the HGA, but they've got the concept of the higher self, which seems very similar. So what's your take on this? Um, I find the HGA to be an individual spirit. Uh, I don't think it's the higher self. I don't believe in a higher self. Um, the higher self is, is this concept almost like there is out there a a like a perfect you who always does the right thing and that there is always a right and a wrong and and there's the highest purpose and highest this and highest that i don't believe in that i believe in you know a, a, or it's not even a belief just my experience of the world is that it's a lot messier than that and there's not any kind of <laughs> you know, oh, this is the best possible uh, outcome or best possible me. Um, so the HGA is individual. I, you know, I, I don't know. I can't speak for Damien Eccles. Or I've never read or listened to anything other than like he was on a Netflix thing once. And um, so, but yeah, no, I, I the whole point of the HGA is the intimacy between you and the HGA. It is, it is not uh, just another spirit. It is not a spirit that, you know, everyone has the same HGA or something like that. At least that's not my experience of it. But who can say? 
Yeah. Now, is would you say there's a difference between your your spirit, the organized consciousness of you, and the HGA? Are they how are they connected? Well, that's I wouldn't I wouldn't claim to have a firm understanding of it, but um, what I would say is that it's not dissimilar to perhaps you in previous lives or future lives, but definitely not an incarnation of, of you. So it is a, a reflection um, it is a reflection of you as a, as a spirit in that and in a divine sense but not your higher self if that makes sense yeah no, but again sense. i try not to worry too much about well, what is it and where is yeah. it and how is it i i you know i assume that uh you know i my mind would break uh under its, you know, the, the full implications of, uh, of all the, the factors that move into it. Yeah. Of, of all that it is. I, I enjoyed in the book when you were, um, talking about the names of the spirits and it said, well, unless you have 12 vocal cords and you're not going to get it right. Right. A similar concept. Um, yeah. And, and you're right. And it's just, you know, it's something that I'm just still, I'm still working my way out of that phase of like the, the whys about everything. Right. And it's, as I said, it caused like an existential crisis for me for like a year until I started to just move past it. And I'm still in that phase of moving past it. And your book has really helped me. I mean, really, really helped me to kind of get past these, uh, trying to figure it out, um, you know, loops that I get stuck in, in my head sometimes. So now when you had that experience after the nine months and you, and you made contact with your HGA, what was it like from then on? So uh, magic started to work better, started to work easier. Um, spirits started to show up more. Some spirits started to pop up, um, almost attracted by it. And pretty, like within a few weeks, um, you know, the HGA was kind of like, you need to get, more training, better training. And I was already in the process of thinking about going to Haiti to study voodoo. And, and you know, I was uh, emailing back and forth with uh, Max Beauvoir. And um, I, I, after the Holy Guardian Angel, I went up to... Um, got a festival in New York called Summerhawk and went to a, a ceremony performed by Louis Martinet. And uh, there was sort of like, you know, a, a message from Papa Legba that was like, you can stick with us with what you know right now, but I think voodoo is not for you for, you know, life practice. <laughs> And then I went to that Holy Guardian Angel and, and it was like, well, what then? 
And then that evening, I sat with Michelin Linden, Louis Martinet's partner. And uh, there may or may not have been some substances involved. And uh, but I knew that night that what I wanted to go do that that what the HDA was leading me towards was a study of Tibetan Buddhism and, and tantric magic. And so uh, from that point on, I, I started meditating. I started, I went back to um, where I was living in Philadelphia. I contacted uh, John Mearden Reynolds, who was the first Westerner to be ordained as a Nakba um, and started studying with different Tibetan lamas and eventually moved to Nepal for a time. And uh, yeah, and then move through there. So the HGA for me has been uh, a being that at times like sets a path and then backs off. Um, and then, but then kind of comes forward at times. And when it comes forward at times, it can be, have input even into like strangely petty things like, you know, pull over. Uh, pull over I'm like that CD you want it's in that store <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um you know I think it was Christy McCall Titanic Days which had been out of print and I was looking for it and uh you sure enough it was there in that used CD store but you know it's sort of like why can't you do shit like this in Atlantic City and um <laughs> so uh but yeah so it's not um, definitely it's not like superpowers or anything like that, but uh, it is a lubricator of magic and uh, aids in the reaching out to spirits, aids in the the psychic training and uh, a magnificent catalyst. So. Do you feel that the Abermalin ritual is the only way to make contact with the HGA, or is that just the way that you chose? Or what, what do well, you feel? Well, so that? I didn't do the the, the Abermalin ritual by the book for right, sure. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, I started off doing like the Crowley thing of, of Lieber Samic, and yeah. then I eventually pared it down back to the the papyri version. Uh, but I was still doing it with that intent. So I think the key from from Abramelin for me is the idea of you whatever you are doing, because even Abramelin is like, you know, use the religion of your birth, right? right. Uh, so the the prayers in there are are suggestions. But the pattern is what's key, like to to start so that there's three times a day so that your whole day is kind of influenced with this. And then in the next phase, it deepens it. So now whatever else you're doing, like if you're not doing that, then you're doing this. And then eventually it just takes over and, and fills like every waking moment. Um. And so that pattern of escalating time and escalating passion, right? That was sort of the key. 
Now, there are people out there who would say, well, if you didn't do it according to the Abramelin book, then you didn't get that spirit. To which I would say, okay, cool, fine. Show, you know, show me, you know, if, if you think that is particularly important, right? Like doing it by the book to get the book result. I will stand outside and wait a few minutes and you will put your demonic seal on your head that makes you fly. <laughs> and you will fly over to my house in Vermont and descend like Superman. And I will absolutely say, you know, wow, then yeah, I will never define the spirit that I'm in contact with as the HE again, you win. But of course, no one has taken me up on that. Um, so when people say it must be done by the book, yet they are never getting the results that the book says. Like they, the, mm -hmm. the process is very literal. We must take this very literally. But no one gets the literal result. And the, well, the result that it says, that's figurative. That you have to interpret uh you know poetically it's like no 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 no. you don't get to you don't get to play both sides so you know do i think it's the only way no but i think that the only way to do it is through escalating time and escalating passion and reaching out um and then that but and then there are things that people are like well i'm going to do kundalini work not the same thing Right, like no matter how much time and passion, you're not trying to contact an HGA with Kundalini right. work. Utterly different. Yeah. Um, in Lieber KKK from Peter Carroll, uh, he compares it to being compared, you know, to to the HGA work. It's nothing at all like that. It's a great process of of twenty five uh, operations. So I'm not taking anything away from that. I, I think it's magnificent, but it ain't that, right? Like it's not that. Um, it's sort of like when people say they don't need to meditate because they get there through ice skating or playing or Tai Chi or something. And I'm like, it's not the same thing. Yeah. Um, you know, so that's an interesting point. So, because I do, um, again, as a as a very ADHD individual, uh, I do a lot of walking meditations, um, or just to to try and enter a trance state uh, through fixation rather than meditation. Uh, I go through a lot of different ways to go about it, depending on how my my mind is functioning at that exact time. Um, and I did find that for me. A single, you know, for any ADHD person, the, the, you know, singly focused meditation is extremely difficult to focus on one individual thing for a very long period of time. I found it was better for me to simply let my mind completely go and let go of any idea of control over it whatsoever. Um, and I have kind of thought like, okay, well, these are all different roads to the same place, but you're saying they're not. So what do you think the difference is between like the different states achieved through, let's say, yoga or, or um, um, like Peter Carroll's uh, death posture type meditation. So, the, you know, the two examples you gave were were great, and um, they can play off of one another. So, Namkai Norbu 
talks about contemplation versus meditation. And so this would be like Trikchud in Dzogchen or, or Zazen in Zen, right? Which would mm. be, there's no single pointed focus. You are sitting, you are being, you are entering a deeper state uh, of relaxation, not in terms of like, just, oh, I gotta, gotta chill and relax, but letting things go more and more and more mm. as thoughts and like letting thoughts arise and dissipate but not attaching to them in any way so that there's no attachment and aversion. You see things clearly as they are. And then you can, that's, Teresa Avila also makes this differentiation between meditation and contemplation. So in that sense, you receive clarity, right? You receive, um, if you keep at it, you receive this, uh, clarity, luminosity, the nature of mind, rather than the content of mind, right? You can you can sense uh, this this what Tibetans will call rigpa. Um, but with meditation, with with shamatha, where it's calm abiding, right? So now you're focused on your breath, and thought arises, you focus on your breath. You recognize a thought arises, you focus on your breath. So now what you're doing is you're learning the content of your mind, but you're also learning how to release from distraction, right? So many people think they're bad at meditation because they don't sit down and get like, oh, <laughs> yeah. within 30 seconds. That's not it at all. If you do nothing but get distracted and released, then you have done amazing work, which is beneficial. Whereas contemplation doesn't necessarily allow you, train you in the same way. Meditation doesn't train you in the same way as contemplation. Both of them will train you in something different and they aid each other. Uh, so it's good to be able to do both. In trance work, very different as well, right? There's nothing in either meditation or contemplation, there's no altered state of consciousness. You're not trying to get somewhere. You're not trying to shift your consciousness into this dreamlike trance. Um, but it's not that there's no benefit in that either. It's just very different. So it's just like with spirits. When it comes to magic, when it comes to um, when it comes, it's always in the details. It's it's the details. It's not how are these things the same. It's how are these things different. And we should be looking at what they do and how. So, you know, the death posture is basically a meditation on stillness, but depending upon how you do it, it can be either a meditation or a contemplation. You can recognize distraction because you are focused on bodily stillness in the way that you are focused on the breath, right? Or you can just be still and releasing effortlessness, effortlessness. 
And then when you have this desire to move the body, then you remove yourself from that, but in as effortless a way as possible, as opposed to like, nope, back to the meditation. So both, you know, depending on how you do it, death posture can, can lead to either one, but death posture is also a good way to silence the mind, to get those gaps uh, of, of thought where spirits can then make themselves more manifest. So that's yet another aspect. So all of these things are different. This is, I, I've started calling this the cheese sandwich rule, right? It applies to everything. Um, when you change something, you've changed it. It's different automatically no one should ever say whether it's well i'm not doing this meditation but that meditation or i'm not using this ingredient in the oil i'm using this ingredient in the oil and then they'll say but it's the same thing it's never the same thing it doesn't mean that it doesn't work it doesn't mean that it that it's going to fail but it is different if I make a cheese, I make a cheese, uh, grilled cheese sandwich with butter on the bread. Other people that I truly do not understand make it with mayonnaise on the outside of the bread. I know, shocking, but it's true. Um, and so you can make a grilled cheese that way and you can switch out the cheeses and you can switch out the breads. Every way you do it is going to be different, right? But it still can be called a grilled cheese until you mess it up so far that you're like, well, instead of bread, I'm using fried chicken. Well, now you have a KFC double down. That's not a grilled cheese sandwich. But, um, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, something that uh, people need to keep in mind with meditation, spirituality, magic everything is different for a reason and even if it leads to similar places it can lead there differently and the assumption that it all leads to the same place is just flatly wrong yeah no that makes perfect i was a chef for 25 years um so that makes perfect sense to me um and in that 25 years i've never seen anyone put mayo on a grilled cheese and grill it that way that sounds disgusting people do uh, it you know what? I live in Canada now. I was born and raised in Santa Cruz, California, but I now live in Alberta, Canada. And you know what people do here? They put ketchup on their mac and cheese. Yeah. Yeah. It's Canadian lasagna. Yeah. It's horrifying. Yeah. My son um, does it. He was born here. There's nothing I can do about oof. it. I don't get it though. Okay. <laughs> so now, as it seems now, okay, to, to give you a little brief backstory here. All of the spirit contact that I've ever had has happened – well, okay, all of the intentional spirit contact that I've ever had has happened in a state of trance or meditation, not even sure which, what to call it exactly. I have also encountered spirits while reading tarot specifically about a spirit and have that spirit come through. Mm -hmm. I've also uh, I also experienced Zozo through a Ouija board, and that freaked me the hell out. Um, but all the intentional – contact i've ever had has been through stillness and meditation not through ritual however it's clear 
if you study uh, the old grimoires and, and even the modern ones, that ritual is the most seemingly the most effective way to make contact with spirits. So why do you think that is? What do you think? What do you think about this? So, you know, if, if you're reading the grimoires, then you're reading the rituals of ritualists, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So they can't say that this is the most effective way because they're not commenting at all on other ways. Um, furthermore, there are, there are many grimoires that comment on fumigations, which might affect the mind. Um, so when I look at things like that, I always think, okay, well, you know, the hammer sees everything as a nail, the exorcist sees everything as an exorcism, and mm -hmm. uh, the conjurer sees everything as an evocation. And, uh, you know, the, the, so here's, here's going back to this idea of orientation, right? We're ordinarily oriented to the physical. Spirits are oriented to the usually not even the etheric, so the astral or even a more subtle place like symbol space or the mental space, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So the only way to make contact is to connect, is to build a bridge. Yes. Right? So when you're talking about ritual evocation that is only ritual. You're talking about somebody saying, I'm here in the physical realm. You're gonna come here so I can see you with my physical eyes and I'm gonna keep hammering at this nonsense until you get here. And I will torture you and do whatever I need to do to make you manifest in a way that I don't have to do any damn work whatsoever. Right? Mm -hmm. um, and so what do we get? In records of evocations, we usually get spirits that want to leave as soon as possible. It's yeah. uncomfortable. Yes. They are, you know, short. They are bound, which then leaves the exorcist with the impression of, oh, these spirits, they must be so tightly controlled. They're so wrathful. Well, yeah. maybe they just don't like, you know, it. It, it's like if somebody wants to talk to you and they find you on the street and throw you up against the wall and handcuff you and then start asking you questions, you're like, just get me the fuck out of here. Just get me out of here. 100%, yeah. Um, so, and it's not that there's never a time for that. There are times when you want to bring something closer to the physical so that you can uh, converse with it with ordinary mind right? In a clear way, use a, a rational way so that there's no twisted language. There's no like David Lynch spirit holding cream corn and, you know, mm. like now I got to figure this out, right? Yeah. Um, but there are also other ways. So there are ways that we reach out. So mystics experience spirits and God and angel through effortlessness. They're always releasing rather than through esoteric efforts of like doing things. They are not only are they not doing anything, they're just, they're releasing even the ordinary things that they do. 
right? The ordinary conceptions that they have, they're just trying to release them and to go to, to, to reach God through effortlessness or the spirits through effortlessness. Um, so mysticism is the other extreme, right? Or, or you can say trance states and traveling are the other extreme going to try to experience this being. Um, on just going to them, earth, right? Yeah, yes, yeah. yeah. So that certainly seems to be more what I've been able to accomplish. I've never been able to bring anything here. I've lived in haunted houses where things were there that I did not want to be there. I've had things come through to my house that I had to chase out the window, right. but but I've uh, never successfully like drawn anything in, and so I don't I don't really deal with that kind of magic. I I try to make contact. Um, through, as you're saying, effortlessness, and that's been far more successful for me. So, you know, for me, the, the sorcerer um, operates in a bunch of different places along this spectrum as needed. So most of, like, if it's pure effortlessness, how do you direct it to which spirit you want to become, uh, you know, acquainted to? Well, obviously there needs to be prayer, there needs to be some ritual beforehand to even attract that spirit, right? So there again, it's not pure effortlessness. There's some ritual, there's some prayer to direct uh, your attention, if you will, or, or to establish connection and resonance. And then your effortlessness can allow that resonance to kind of grow and take over until you're in contact. Or you can exercise different trance states or scrying or other methods where you're reaching out and calling them forward. This is my sweet spot, right? Mm -hmm. Like we want to call, we want to evoke, we want to invoke, uh, we want to transvoke and bring them towards us and, and into our orientation. And then we also want to reach out um, in and the middle. meet them halfway more than halfway uh at times and then at other times we want to pull them very close for some magical sorcery uh operations so the the juxtaposition of effort and effortlessness is is really necessary and whereas the the mystic and the trance state a lot of it is defined by openness and and reaching out and receptivity one of the problems with evocation can almost be like, all right, I'm going to hit this ritual. I'm going to, I'm going to evoke for 45 minutes and read these conjurations and then they're done. And it's like, okay, no spirit yet. Okay. Back at it. Let's just keep going and going and going. And the spirit's like, I'm here. I'm here. Like, just, you know, take a second look. Like, yeah. like I'm not a physical being. Like if you would stop reading the script for a goddamn minute, I'm I'm here. Um, so there has to be spaces in the ritual, right? Um, there has to be give and take. So it's it's a combination, and and just like music and any other thing and it's it's a combination of technique and inspiration of of work and effortlessness and yeah
Yeah. And I think that it's important for every individual practitioner to, to find their own sweet spot, right? Because everyone's mind works differently. And, and I can't explain why, but everyone's going to have a different area in which it's most comfortable and most effective for them. And I don't think it's going to be universal at all. Um, Absolutely. So unfortunately, we only have time for one more question. Um, and so what I want to ask you is, is uh, you know, after everything you've experienced, is there any particular group of spirits or spirit, individual spirit, which you would warn people from making contact with? Would you say that's probably not a good idea? No, there's no particular group of spirits or, 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 you know, just evil spirit. What I would say is to know why you're doing something and to have a good reason why, right? Like there are some spirits that are very close to the cycles of life and death and they they can be you know dangerous for instance but they're not bad spirits they're they're volatile spirits and there are people who live in volatile places and and who need that volatility that volatility is key to their survival but then these spirits get sort of the rep is like, well, they're they're like being badass equals powerful, right? Yeah. And like being being a badass is powerful. And so then you've got these people in very comfortable suburban lives with you know stable career and family, and and they have this idea that they want to be you know, they want to be powerful. And so then they want to contact these spirits. And then they're like, oh, you know, this is, this is scary. And this is really kind of like messing up things. Not always, but sometimes. Uh, and it's like, well, yeah, because, you know, that spirit, like your idea of why you needed that spirit is totally based on an unhealthy fantasy, right? Like it yeah. doesn't speak for you and where you are in life and, and what you're trying to accomplish. Um, so that's the kind of thing, like people that are just like, you know, oh, I've spent my entire life dealing with nothing but demons. And, and you know, I am attracted to the demonic and, and the dark and you know the thanatorotic and lust and power and domination right uh -huh. and then you meet these people and they're in their 40s and it's like you know i don't know why i can't have a stable life and a stable career and i'm uh -huh. not very happy and it's like yeah. well because you know you've been hanging out with the equivalent of like you know soccer hooligans or a you know a biker gang and not one of the cool biker gangs it's like you know does charity drives like one of the you know yeah. the meth dealing biker gangs <laughs> it's like yeah. you know you've been hanging out with these people so of course you're you're hanging out with spirits that love 
chaos and volatility, but what you really want in life is order and stability, you're hanging out with the wrong people. So it always goes just like people, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. And the thing is, then people like there, it doesn't make them evil, it doesn't make them wrong. So know why, know why you're doing something. And that also goes true with like more spirits, right? Like I want, well, I know this spirit is good and I know that spirit is good. I should get them both in on this. And it's like, not necessarily. Like if you have a, a cool clock and the clock has a lot of exposed gears, like one of those skeletonized clocks that you put on the mantle and you've got this really cool crystal, right? It's mm -hmm. it's like neat quartz, almost perfect, but it's still natural. Cool clock, cool crystal. I should shove this crystal in the middle of the clock. <laughs> no, right? Like, no, you're taking something with precision and you're just slamming it in with this other thing. It's like, now it's like this like stupid steampunk looking thing that does nothing. Yeah. Um, so that kind of thing. So I'm less, I, I, there's no spirits that I want to warn people away from like, Oh, this spirit's evil. Mm -hmm. There's, there's like dumb reasons and dumb things that people do with spirits. Yeah. And that would be my thing. It's like, why do you want to contact the spirit? And you know, what do you hope to gain? Yeah. And there are, in my opinion, a great many um, magicians, practitioners out there who are, who are using that, uh, that dark aesthetic entity stuff to, to con people. And uh, I did a whole episode about this uh, a couple of months ago. There was a, a case in London where uh, a, a young oh, man yeah. uh, murdered a couple of people because he read in one of EA Coetting's books that, you know, you should commit human sacrifice fucking idiot like yeah i you know but that that i attribute to the young man being severely mentally ill and the author of that book being severely mentally ill or you just i mean and i don't mean that in i mean just fucking psychopaths you know um with maybe i i don't even want to attribute spirit to any of this because i i personally think that that Kwetting's a con man you know and he's not i mean in contact with anything except his own psychosis. That's just my personal opinion. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, that's all we have time for, Jason. Uh, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, this is one of the most fascinating conversations I've, I've ever had. And, uh, and thank you for letting me just fire questions at you. I really appreciate it. Anytime. Great show, great questions. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you again. Um, I'd love to have you back on again. I did order another one of your books. Can't wait to read it. Um, Protection Magic which I, I definitely think is, as you said, maybe some people need to take a little bit more seriously. And I feel that that's the point where I'm getting to. So going to be very, very excited to read that. Um, yeah. Thank you again. And I will see you next time. Awesome. Thanks. Yep.